Welcome to the Medical Menemist Podcast, your source for memory techniques and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Brett Thompson is a student at the University of Utah Medical School and the co-founder of Physio, which many of you have probably heard about by now. And he's going to come on and tell us a little bit about Physio and about the learning strategies and methodologies and mnemonics that they use within that material and how you can use this for your benefit as well. Brett, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So give the audience just a brief overview of who you are, why you started Physio, and kind of the reception you've received so far. Awesome. So Physio started back in 2016. This was right after I finished taking my step one exam. And as I was approaching my step one exam, I realized that I had been spending so much time memorizing things and not investing enough time in understanding things and building a really deep and meaningful conceptual framework for everything, everything that you need to know for step one. And that was so interesting to me that I saw that that was a problem. And that really motivated me with my classmate, Michael Christensen, to create Physio so that we could really go back to the foundation to make sure that there's a strong framework for students. It's something that we wanted. Like our goal was to create exactly what we would have wanted and quite frankly still wanted, even though we'd already taken step one and we were done with the test, but we wanted that conceptual framework for ourselves moving forward for clinical practice and things like that. So our flagship really was physiology and building the conceptual framework around that in a way that we'd never seen before in any other resource or company. And so we just really felt there was this big opening to create something like that, something very visual, very conceptual, and very much something to help connect all the dots because there's so much to learn. And so that was the impetus for starting physio. And of course, it's been so much more than that. I mean, physiology is 72 videos to make and we're like on the site right now there are 799 videos and that doesn't include the dozens more that are coming in the next week or so. So obviously it's a lot more than physiology, but that's really kind of our backstory. So I hope that gets to what you're wanting to know. Definitely. And wow, over 700 videos. That's very impressive. I kind of wanted to do the same thing as you guys. That's why I started free med ed way back in med school, because there was just, I was trying to memorize too much. I wasn't retaining the information, wanted to find some way to help other students not struggle as much as I did. And you guys went so much further by making these videos, which I imagine are not easy to produce and tackling one of the most difficult subjects for step one, which is kind of the foundation of medicine and that's physiology. So just kudos to you guys for putting forth so much legwork and really getting this resource out there to help students. Well, thank you to you as well. And just like, well done on creating what you've done. And I think these types of things are, can be so useful for med students. So I feel like we're on the same team. It's cool to be able to be interviewed by you. I appreciate the compliment. Definitely. I know we've been trying to set up this interview for a long time now. I think I first became aware of physio when I was still podcasting with Inside the Boards and Patrick Beeman over there. And then 
another friend of mine, Greg Rodden, who does the Med School Fizz podcast and has since partnered with you guys to do Physiology by Physio podcast. Not to mention you guys also have the uh, Step One Secrets podcast, I believe it's called. So there's just a lot of, I'd say, useful collaborations between all of us. So it's great that we can share these resources, share the useful information, and really try to boost students' learning for the future, for their boards and everything else they need. And I just want to make sure that I don't take credit for something that I didn't build. So the Step One Secrets, I think, is definitely within the Inside the Boards umbrella. I'm not sure exactly who's over it, but I do know that it might be directly Patrick Beeman. The podcast that you're probably referring to is Step One Success Stories that we made. I just want to make sure I don't take credit for Patrick Beeman's work in that other awesome podcast, The Step One Secrets. Awesome podcast, but the fact that there's any confusion is just a testament to the fact that it's such a cool connection and web of people helping each other and working together. You mentioned Greg Rodden and Patrick Beeman, and it's cool that we're all just like working together, trying to get this kind of stuff out to students <laughs> to be useful. So, yeah. Totally agree. Maybe someday we'll all be under the same umbrella and can work more <laughs> coordinated <laughs> together. Yeah, it'd be certainly easier to schedule a podcast interview at that point, I hope so. Definitely. All right. So with the physio content, you guys probably had a lot of lessons learned that say from making the content, how to really get the message across appropriately and completely for students. And in the past, all the video lectures, basically the ones that I had to use for step one were PowerPoints. A speaker up at a lecture hall, there's PowerPoints or something along those lines. What did you guys find was most effective? How did you approach sort of the method of teaching, the pedagogy of getting information across for students? And I'm bringing this up because I want all of the listeners to understand how their own learning works a little bit better. It's something we love to cover on here. So what did you find very useful and how you planned attacking the material? That's a good question. And I think that it really is important to think about this from the student perspective. So PowerPoints, they've been around for a while and I feel like they're useful and have actually been around for a reason. It's not necessarily because they're the most effective or certainly not perfected. But I feel like they've been around for a while. And I feel like the reason that they've been around so long is because there's a way to follow along with the teacher. And certainly it's a lot of the notes that the professor was using are then accessible to the students fairly simply. Most professors, most schools make those slideshows available before and after and downloadable. And so I feel like that's one of the really good things about just that PowerPoint idea. And so I bring that up because I feel like it's important to recognize what students are hoping to get out of a lecture. And a lot of times I'm envisioning myself, you know, back in preclinical years and learning. And I feel like I was oftentimes nervous that I wouldn't be taking notes fast enough or that things I would hear and perhaps learn or get exposed to in the lecture, but then not be able to have a way to effectively record that and review that. So I feel like that anxiety of hoping to be able to like lock in information in a more permanent way has been stressful. So anyways, PowerPoints are useful, but there's so much else that students need in order to be able to have that comfort that they're going to understand things and recall things when they need it. Getting back to your question is about specifically how we've approached making our content. When we started physio with our focus on physiology, we 
we're really thinking about how to make a big framework and how to make that framework very intuitive and natural and almost effortlessly learned and memorized. And that's really the approach that we took. And so you take like renal physiology, for example, there's a lot of nuances to everything there. And if you understand the physiology, then so much else makes sense. Then you can really piece together the pharmacology related to the kidneys and really pieces things together. So our idea was to make sure that everything was visual, that we like, we could capture the student and keep their attention at every step of the way and not get so excited about what we were saying, but make sure that it was clear what they should be seeing and how they should think about certain topics. So we would walk through some of the most complicated things, the things that we actually thought were the most complicated and difficult for us, and then just try to reimagine every aspect of it and build it from the ground up in a way that is a lot more intuitive, like what substances get reabsorbed at various parts of the nephron and why is that even important to know? And those are things you could easily find yourself just memorizing facts like that, but you can spend a lot of time trying to lock that in, but it's not really going to stick if you don't fully understand it. And I feel like that's been our recipe for success and why physio has really taken off is because we've been able to accomplish that and things just make sense. You know, we just hear back from students that they just get it. Like they understand the relevance and all the details just make sense and are kind of locked in. So the theme here is that understanding is key. And I think sometimes as the medical student, we're working so hard to memorize something because we want it to be with us on the test. And that is a good goal to have. You definitely want it to be with you on the test. But I think sometimes you can sacrifice deep understanding that's going to make it a lot more meaningful and easy to memorize. And so it's kind of like, don't put the cart before the horse, like understand, just make that paramount, make sure you understand it. And then if you can do that, then memorizing is the next question. And usually understanding that'll help you memorize. You kind of bring up an important topic there, and that is that deep understanding is very difficult to get. So I'm glad that you've received so much positive feedback on your material that you do explain it in such a manner to get that deep understanding. I know that there is a lot of physiology. I never learned very comprehensively when I was in med school. So I still struggle with things. And the focus was to jump to memorization because I didn't have the comprehension. I didn't have a resource for it that I felt was working for me anyway. So I had to rely more on memorization. And a lot of the resources I use seem to indicate using a lot of memorization too. But also the aspect in which the material is created. So like we were discussing with PowerPoints, they are kind of passive. Yes, it gives the student that comfort level because they have the material to reference later on, but it's still a passive learning technique. It's just like rereading your notes, rereading a chapter of the book, Something we cover a lot in this podcast is that passive techniques don't work for the long run. You need to be more active. And you can be more active with that when you have a deeper understanding. You can question yourself and question your friends and just get to more complex aspects of that physiologic process if you have that deep understanding. And then that leads to longer term retention. Yeah, I agree. I feel like that's key. 
And it's something that you guys also do is utilization of visual mnemonics, correct? Yes. Obviously, we're on a podcast about learning techniques and mnemonics. So how have you created yours? What methodology did you use or how did you learn to make these? And what have students been saying about it? Because I know a lot of students do like to use pre-made mnemonics because it can take a lot of time to make your own sometimes. But also an interesting aspect of that we cover a lot is sometimes using someone else's mnemonics aren't going to be as strong for you. So I'm just kind of curious what your thoughts are on that and how you guys created your own. Good question. So I think it's important to realize that mnemonics can come in many shapes and sizes. You know, mnemonics can be something as simple as mad as a hatter, dry as a bone, red as a beet. And we love making those. And those are just riddled throughout all of our content, even outside of the image mnemonic specific lectures, physiology and pathology and immunology, you'll see lots of those. I think it's important to recognize that because then it makes sense that when you're talking about image mnemonics, where you're just, we create a story and there's a visual aspect to it, that's really not something you can do on your own effectively without a team. It's something that's not super feasible. And I really appreciate what you pointed out that when you can create something on your own, then it can be very valuable and more memorable. And I think that is often the case. But I think when it comes to complicated kind of big themes, like memorizing all of the side effects together with a certain drug, and then remembering what the indications are for that drug and the mechanism and keeping all that together is really difficult. And so that's where image mnemonics come in, where we, we really focus on creating a story in order to help students memorize that and lock it in. And the, the principle being that us as humans are hardwired to remember stories. We can recall those much easier. So that's kind of our philosophy on that. And I think that gets to part of your question. Yeah, I definitely gets to sort of the um, personal use of mnemonics, personal creation of it can be difficult, but much more powerful. Some say there's always debate in this. I definitely have guests on the show in the past that say 100% make your own mnemonics, don't rely on someone else's. But I also hear more from those in medicine saying, there's a lot of material. It's complex material. Sometimes you don't have the time to create everything on your own, or you're struggling to make a mnemonic for this particular material. So use someone else's and just save your cognitive abilities for later down the road or for remembering that mnemonic. So kind of bridged on that part. And the other part of the question was just sort of how you go about creating them. And it sounds like you use the story method and you have a team of, I guess, story writers and artists to collaborate to make this, correct? So I feel like these ideas are very, very connected. The ideas being that what we're putting into it is something that you really can't emulate on your own, just individually, without a big team and a lot of effort. And, and I feel like that, to really make my point, I can tell you how we go about making these. So it's not as simple as saying, oh, these are the facts. Let's memorize them and storyfy them and draw some images with it we would have been done years ago if that was all that was involved. And certainly people have done that. You know, I know like other companies have taken that approach and those examples stand out as a testament to what you pointed out. Those wouldn't be as strong. I guess the point being image mnemonics made by somebody else have the potential to be ineffective, but to make them effective, here's what we do. So we identify what we're trying to help the student understand. 
And notice I say understand, not necessarily memorize. This is the drug, and we really want them to understand the mechanism for that drug. And we want them to be able to connect that to all the other relevant facts to that drug. And I'm saying drug, but it can apply to microbiology and immunology, which we also have image mnemonics. We're just wrapping up the pharmacology chapter, so it's the most fresh. So most of my examples are going to be pharmacology. What we do is we gather everything we're hoping to get across to the student. And then we study a ton about that stuff. Like I'm talking like up-to-date PubMed, original research, tons of stuff to make sure that everything we're hoping to get across to the student is relevant and accurate. I actually really like first aid. So I think it's a great resource as long as you realize that it's a study guide, not necessarily fleshed out all the details or all the mechanisms or the why and the how of everything. So you take like a list of everything you need to know about a given drug, like thiazide diuretics, as listed in first aid, that's a good guide. But when we're making our image mnemonic, we need to make sure that every one of those points is relevant, up-to-date, accurate, and figure out why they're related. And that takes hours. That's one of the most time-intensive aspects to creating an image mnemonic, is getting it to that point. And then we start coming up with themes as we just almost naturally start coming up with this theme that just kind of jumps out at us. And I'm thinking from like a personal perspective. So as I'm creating these, I just start thinking about something random. And if it might seem, well, I say random, that's actually like the worst word to use because it's not random, but something that seems like if something just comes to me, why does this image come to my mind while I'm like talking about this stuff? And then as I'm thinking about that, then it like pieces together to some other topic as well. That's within the same thing that I want the student to memorize. And so a theme is born and then we're able to assign ideas to each one of the concepts that we want the student to know and then see how they're all connected and then create like a really interesting narrative and creating like a gripping story. Once we do that and we flesh it out, you know, we hit roadblocks that we're like, how does this random thing fit into our story now? Like this is an important fact. People need to know that thiazides can have this side effect, but how do we get the symbol that we thought of for that side effect to fit into this story? If it doesn't fit in well, then you get like random crap. Just because you can draw a picture that throws a bunch of symbols together and put it in a single image, that's not going to be effective to remember. And so there has to be a reason why it's in the story and how it fits in that narrative. And so that's kind of like from beginning to end, like heavy research, lots of just kind of letting your mind go and just kind of like brainstorm and bring it together. And then we pass it to an artist and we just build it from there. So that's our, without being super boring with like nitty gritty details, but like that's the goal. Okay, got it. I think to summarize, I think your process is very similar to mine. So when I'm creating my visual mnemonics, I will take some resource that summarizes the key points, at least the key points for me. So you could start off with something like First Aid or any other review book that has what they think are the most important points of that topic. Or if you have your own notes and you've been editing it over your curriculum, over your academic career, then you know which topics you need to remember. You can get rid of extraneous information because you already know it or it's not that relevant or whatever the fact might be. Now that you have your list, you can start just thinking of visual associations with them. And with those visual associations, at least for me, then I will have more of an idea once I have kind of a arbitrary list or 
a starter list going, then I can make a story with them. And then you do need to find the associations. Is it increasing this? Is it decreasing that? Is it having a positive effect or a negative effect? And those types of interactions are a little more difficult sometimes to create for someone that's new to this technique. But I think we're kind of following the same thing. Get the information, make some associations, kind of brainstorm if you need to. Whatever is really intuitive for you is going to work better because you have different experiences. You've seen different shows or movies or uh, listen to different music. You know different hobbies. And with all of that personal experience, personal information, you're going to have different stories show up for you that you can then utilize that back knowledge in a way to make an association with all of this medical material. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that sometimes as I've been creating these, I've learned that something that might be intuitive to me to remember isn't necessarily intuitive for somebody else. And so it's really good that we have a team to really just screen that. You know, I remember we came up with this story for a bunch of laxatives and, and I love how the story turned out. But at some point I was thinking that we should have like John Cena, the wrestler in it. And that was something that like I would have really easily remembered. And it's hard to know what percentage of people know who that is or would have remembered kind of him fitting into the story. But someone on our team was like, I actually am not like super familiar with who that is, let alone what he would look like. And not only that, but how he would look in a cartoon. <laughs> so I was like, okay, yeah, that's right. And so we were able to come up with something that's more intuitive and fit really well in the story and something that would be like more broadly applicable to help other people. But I really like the point you make because everybody has a different set of experiences and some things are going to be intuitive that might not be to someone else. Yeah, exactly. I've definitely had some that are just completely, like you said earlier, they seem very random, stick very well. And that's just going to work for me. That's not going to work for anyone else that I tell the mnemonic to. So I try to kind of break down the process. So if students want to investigate doing this on their own, or they're having trouble with a pre-made mnemonic that someone else created, another company created, you guys created, they can kind of work their own out and still have the skill as well. So it's kind of interesting to hear how this process works for different people and some of the similarities, some of the differences. Well, I guess I just want to clarify that I think that there's like the team that we've built and, and being able to create image mnemonics in the way that we've done is something that if you're just studying and you haven't built company or a team and stuff like that, then it's going to be hard to replicate that. But I think that if I'm understanding correctly, the goal is to really give, I certainly want to give students tools that they can use wherever or whatever they're using. And so that's why it's important to be realistic about don't make making image mnemonics your goal. I wouldn't do that. So this is me stepping away from, obviously, we put a lot of work into this to make it so students shouldn't have to do that by themselves. You know, we want them to be able to use this that's done for them. But what you need to do on your own, I feel like there's actually a bunch of steps. I don't want to like get ahead, but if you want to talk about like the toolbox that I would recommend from what I've seen, I'd be happy to go into that, but I don't want to go into that if you're in charge of this, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's up to you. If you have a quick depiction of that, that would be something that the audience could like put into place right now. I'm sure they would enjoy that. Yeah, what I'm kind of curious to know what you mean by toolbox. Are you saying internal process or like physical tools and software and stuff that you use? Uh, good question. I'm thinking personal, like for your mind and how you're kind of building everything out in your mind and how you're locking things away and understanding them. Yeah, I think that's something that everyone can relate to. They can all 
work out their own process, but having someone else's in mind can give them a baseline, a foundation to start with and then tweak on their own, I think. Everybody thinks just a little bit differently. And I think it's, I've developed, you know, my own through lots of practice and hearing from other people. And I think that I'm fully aware that any advice that I give is going to have to be heavily adapted to what, what an individual's needs. So I agree with what you're saying. So some of the things that I think that are very important really boil down to, or I guess I should say, the tools that I would like to put out there are really just a couple of questions that I think you should get in the habit of asking yourself as you're learning anything. So, so the question would be ask why or how? Like for example, in acute inflammation, prostaglandins can cause swelling. You can memorize that. Or if you try to ask yourself and figure out why or how prostaglandins cause swelling, then you start to make a connection that's a little bit more logical. For example, you can answer that question by saying that prostaglandins cause post-capillary venules to become more permeable, so they leak more fluid and you cause edema in the interstitial tissue. And so by asking that one question, you start to make a bit of a framework. And that brings me to my next big question that I think you should ask yourself, which is asking, how does this fit into a larger framework? So for example, you've learned that prostaglandins are, you've like studied prostaglandins to some degree. You've asked yourself how they do what they do. And then you're asking yourself, how does this fit into a larger framework? Is there a larger framework that they fit into? And probably the most common answer, the most immediate framework that most people would think about would be the acute inflammation, like prostaglandins are released in acute inflammation. So what you've done after you've answered those questions is you've connected prostaglandins to swelling and why that occurs and acute inflammation. And you've started a strong framework. And so, and just to take this example a little bit further so you can see how valuable this can be, let's say now you've got a clinical scenario where somebody has been playing soccer and they sprain their ankle and now their ankle is swelling. And now you've got this connection. You're thinking, okay, well, swelling occurs in acute inflammation. This is like right here happens to be an example of acute inflammation and prostaglandins are released in acute inflammation and prostaglandins have many actions. One of those is as you just connected was post-capillary venules that get more permeable as a result of prostaglandins. So then when you think, well, NSAIDs are often prescribed when somebody rolls their ankle for a few reasons. One of the reasons is that it can reduce swelling in the ankle. And so then you start to realize, okay, well, the NSAIDs reduce the swelling. And that makes sense because I know that prostaglandins are what are blocked. The synthesis of prostaglandins is blocked by NSAIDs. And if you're reducing the amount of NSAIDs flowing or reduce the amount of prostaglandins floating around, then you're reducing their activity on the post-capillary venules, making them so they're not leaking as much fluid and that would help reduce the swelling. And so that framework from beginning to end is built just by asking those two questions, how and why, and then how does this fit in a bigger framework? And if you can do that for everything you learn or everything you study, every topic, just like those two questions, get through those, then you're going to build this almost naturally. And you're not going to 
suffer as much trying to memorize things because you've made them more intuitive and you'll know when things are relevant. I like it. And getting in the habit of that's probably going to be a little difficult for students at first, but there's plenty of material out there about building habits, habit stacking. To get into the habit of asking these two very simple questions, you kind of have to think through the entire process. You have to think forward and backwards. Where did it come from? Where is it going? And how can I stop it? So it's a very simple why and how of every situation that can lead to investigating that deeper knowledge. And then through that, you can also find out where some of your knowledge gaps are and then utilize other techniques we've discussed in past episodes, flashcards, mnemonics, whatever, to make sure you remember it next time. Yeah, exactly. And before we get to the end of the show, I did want to make one little pivot here because I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on the collaboration you guys have been doing with Inside the Boards as far as the Step One Secrets podcast, because that is something that a lot of students are wondering now. And I think I've asked you in the past too through you know text or email, like, what are you guys going to do? Are you going to have another season now that Step One's going pass fail? What are your thoughts on just the relevance, the importance of Step One coming up in the future? Yeah, so me and Patrick Beeman collaborated on Step One Success Stories. And that brings up a really good point because that tagline for that podcast is the playbook of those who dominated the USMLE. So the idea is like the score is super relevant, you know, in every episode we share, or most every episode, the person we interviewed was comfortable sharing their score. And, you know, we would announce that for the listener and help make that kind of a big thing. But moving forward, the score is not super important because it's moving to pass fail, like you pointed out. And so just thinking about step one, going to a pass fail system, like I, I am not in any way opposed to that. I feel like there's a lot of nuances. And I think when people, a big organization makes a decision like that, there's a lot of unforeseen consequences. And I think they're going to deal with that. I mean, I can't predict them. The biggest consequence that I see is that it might hurt international medical students who are trying to apply. And that's, and step one is one of the biggest things that they can do to separate themselves. And so there's going to be some challenges, but I think that overall, you still have to know the material. And I feel like it might be nicer. Like I'm really trying to put myself in that shoes of students, like back then, because it's a different world. Because I had to think about the score, like at all times, that was paramount. But I think that it's going to be really helpful for students to think about step one as being an opportunity to just engage in this material and learn this material that's going to be with you and really lock it in and make it intuitive and useful for you long-term. And like I said, I don't know, you still have to know the material and I don't know how residency programs are going to distinguish students academically as much after it goes to pass fail, unless they're going to start utilizing step two more and grades more. And the only downside I see to using grades more is that I feel like a lot of programs right now have had a lot of success at increasing their, the camaraderie and the morale amongst their students because they've had their curriculum pass fail. So now a lot of students are in the situation, you know, or they will be once step one goes to pass fail, where the courses will be pass fail and step one will be pass fail, which my concern is that grades will start returning amongst the medical schools. I really think that camaraderie and just having good morale and just trusting your classmates and 
wanting to help them. And I feel like that's so powerful and I would hate for that to go away if medical schools kind of return to that more graded scheme. I have to apologize. I keep saying secrets instead of success stories because Ted O'Connell's Step 2 Secrets podcast is also under the Inside the Board's umbrella there as far as podcasts. I keep mixing up the words there. But I... <laughs> yeah, you're totally fine. And I want to point out that I am not in any way offended by that. I'm flattered. And the only reason I correct you is so that I don't get too much credit. I think that what you say there is very important too. And from my discussions with a lot of physicians and a couple of residency directors and residency coaches is that, yes, the step two is going to become more important, which it should have been from the beginning because most physicians seem to also agree step one is not a proper indication of anything that's going to necessarily be a strong indicator of your clinical presence. It's material that you don't use as much as step two material. It does show that you're a good test taker, but I haven't seen anything that relates to long-term patient care or collaborations with others or any of the other aspects of being a student and later a resident and physician that step one has been a good indicator for. So that's just my two cents on it. Can't imagine I'm going back to a graded system necessarily because those are going to be too variable. It's not going to compare from one school to another. One thing I have heard a lot of physicians saying is that extracurriculars, more research, writing medical blog posts, going on podcasts or starting your own, those kind of extracurricular things are probably going to have a greater impact and show that you're a more well-rounded student and future physician than just a good test taker necessarily. So I don't know. I'm not one that will make these decisions. I'm just kind of trying to put together all of the things that I've heard over the past couple of months. And hopefully some of that will provide some guidance for the students. But I do think with step two becoming potentially extremely important, a lot of the material from your podcast, even though it's related to step one, is still going to be useful because it's study techniques, it's strategies, it's what people use to gain really high marks on these standardized exams. And they're still going to need to do that for step two. So one thing I did notice is that pretty much everyone I've heard on your podcast has a very different story. It's not like what you see in the medical student forums. Oh, just do UWorld two times, three times, and you'll be fine. Everyone has a different strategy. And I'm wondering if you've noticed a couple of maybe patterns that the audience could gain from that. That's a very good question. In fact, the patterns that I've noticed that have really helped me create the advice that I've already given. So what's paramount is understanding. The one thing that I, amongst all of the different, the different techniques that students would use that we interviewed, it was so variable, like you said. But the theme that kept coming up was that they understood the material. Like they made sure that whatever they did, they understood it. It made sense. They knew how to apply it. Even though the way that they would review the material or even bring it in for the first time might be very different. But they all sought that, like that was their goal and they, and they made it happen. So I feel like that's a variable that can be overlooked. And I feel like if you ask Nobody will go around and admit that they didn't understand the material necessarily, but I certainly think in retrospect, a lot of people can think, oh, you know what? I did understand that as well as I was hoping to because there were so many things to get through. That's the pattern. They all sought to understand the material. I like it. Simple to the point. Well, I think we've covered a lot of material here. Some really 
good value for the audience. And I definitely recommend them checking out your success stories, step one success stories podcast, if they're interested in what other students have done in the past. Obviously, we have physio here for learning of not just physiology anymore. And I guess you might have to consider a name change at some point, won't you? Because now you have not just physiology material on there, but pharmacology, pathology, everything else. But where can the audience find more about you and obviously the content that you're creating? So we were really lucky and we were able to buy the domain name physio.com. So P-H-Y-S-E-O.com. And yeah, so you can go there. And then I just want to point out that it is a natural inclination to want to change the name because we're so much more than physiology now. But we've decided that physiology and the idea of physio, kind of just the brand that we've created, is all about making sure that everything is just so connected and understanding pathophysiology is just central to everything. Even as we're creating our step two library, that it's going to be step two by physio. Like up to this point, even as we've added all this material, people have really internalized this idea of physio being foundational. So we're going to keep the name for now. Great. All right. Physio.com. Search for the Step One Secrets podcast on your podcast player. And Rhett, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your experiences with us. Thanks, Chase. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. If you haven't kept up with the latest episodes of the One Minute Preceptor, go subscribe now. It's full of useful clinical education facts, preparation advice, and news updates from leaders in clinical medicine. So find the One Minute Preceptor on your podcast of choice. Thank you.